for that. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to the book of Exodus. This is the second book of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus. And that's where we'll land for the next seven weeks. We're going to start a new series here called Exodus. And uh, we kick things off here, uh, pulling from Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. I just felt like this is where God wanted us to land for the next month and a half. You can also join us with the uh, reading through the book of Exodus. It's a chapter a day, taking Sundays off as we're gathered together to worship. Um, but if you'd like to catch up, if you're just finding out about that, just read through the first four chapters, and then tomorrow will be on chapter 5. And you'll notice the Bible reading plan is in the bulletin for the next six days, Monday through Saturday. And we'll read through that. This will run with the series. And so we'll be reading in the book of Exodus for the next seven weeks. Uh, before we begin this message, I'm going to start with a word of prayer and ask that the Lord would bless our time together in His Word. Here at Faith, we do believe that God's Word, the Scriptures, the Bible... It's inerrant, it's infallible, and it's inspired by God, and He speaks into our life through the Word. And so before He speaks, just ask that we could pray together and ask the Lord to settle our hearts to receive what it is that He would want to say today. So will you please pray with me before we begin? Father, we thank You so much for this day, this day to gather together and worship. And for those that are joining online, we ask, Lord, that all of us together would come together through the unity of the Holy Spirit, to receive from you. We pray that you'd speak to us now through your word. We thank you for what we're going to walk through today. And I pray, Father, that the seed of your word would go forth and be planted in good soil, that all of our hearts would respond to what it is that you want to do. And we thank you for this time together in your word. We pray, Lord, that you would quiet our hearts, quiet this place to hear from you. And we thank you so much for this time, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So before we start reading, I just want to kind of lay a little bit of a foundation here. But if you know the story of Joseph, right, the guy with the coat that had many colors, right, he's in Egypt. He'd been sold into slavery by his brothers, and time transpires, and it leads to a point where the brothers are in need of food. And Joseph had worked his way up to being second in command in Egypt, and he's able to save his brothers after the years of separation. And these brothers move to Egypt, and eventually all of Joseph's family joins in, and they're living in Egypt. Well, over time, the family of Joseph begins to pass away. And we've got about 220 years that transpires, and we're getting to a point now where the people in Egypt are kind of forgetting Joseph and that whole story and the role that he played in helping Egypt. In fact, the Pharaoh's getting concerned. These Israelites, these Hebrew people, they're growing and they're multiplying very quickly and they're going to overpower us unless we do something about this. And so the response to that is, let's just put slave labor on these Hebrew people. Let's just work them to the bone. And then on top of that, realizing that they continue to multiply even though they're in this type of slavery, the Pharaoh says, I think it's time to do something with these newborns. We're going to start taking lives, particularly the lives 
of baby boys. And so he brings in some midwives, Hebrew midwives, to make sure that that happens, that that gets done. But yet they choose not to. These Hebrew women stand firm in their fear of the Lord. And so then to take it a step further, Pharaoh says, well, I guess we're just going to have to throw all these newborn baby boys into the Nile River. That's how we're going to get rid of them and try to reduce the population and reduce the power of these Hebrew people. So you see this tension taking place. And even in the midst of this oppression and the negative things, the evil things that are happening to God's people, God raises up a deliverer by the name of Moses. He'd be kind of a key character, a key individual in the book of Exodus that we're going to get to know real well over the next month and a half. And we, we see this today, the beginning of his life, and this little child, that the mom realizes this decree. She doesn't want her child to be killed, and so she goes through some desperate measures to try to save this boy's life. We'll walk through that today, and understanding, in the midst of all of this, to be able to say no to Pharaoh and trusting what God is doing, the title of today's message is, Trust God No Matter What. And you'll see how we'll walk through that here as we roll along. But as we read from Exodus 1, we're going to start in verse 1 here. These are the names of the son of Israel, that is, Jacob. Jacob was Joseph's dad. And Jacob wrestled with God, and after wrestling with God, God changes Jacob's name to Israel, and that's where we get the nation of Israel. So these are the names of his sons who moved to Egypt with their father, each with his family. You've got Reuben... Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. In all, Jacob had 70 descendants in Egypt, including Joseph, who was already there. Now in time, Joseph and all his brothers died, ending that entire generation. But their descendants, the Israelites, had many children and grandchildren. In fact, they multiplied so greatly that they became extremely powerful and they filled the land. Now, I want to stop there real quick. You think these, these descendants, right, this generation of 70 people, okay, over the time that it's spent, over 80 years beyond when that first started. So I said about 220, add another 80 years to that, and this Hebrew population is going to grow to about 2.5 million people. So you can imagine the power that's building with those kinds of numbers. And when Moses is 80 years old, he leads those two and a half million out of Egypt to freedom. So it starts small, it grows. You can see that tension for Pharaoh. They're growing. So in verse 8, eventually a new king came to power in Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. And he said to his people, Look, the people of Israel now outnumber us, and they're stronger than we are. We must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. And if we don't and war breaks out, they will join our enemies and they'll fight against us. Then they'll escape from our country. So the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. And they appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with the crushing labor. And they forced them to build the cities of Python and Ramesses as supply centers for the king. But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread 
and the more alarmed the Egyptians became. So the Egyptians worked the people of Israel without mercy, and they made their lives bitter, forcing them to mix mortar and make bricks and do all the work in the fields, and they were ruthless in all their demands. And then Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, gave this order to the Hebrew midwives, Shifra and Puah. When you help the Hebrew women as they give birth, watch as they delivered. If it's a boy, kill him. If it's a girl, let her live. But because these midwives feared God, they refused to obey the king's orders, and they allowed the boys to live too. So the king of Egypt called for these midwives. Why have you done this, he demanded. Why have you allowed the boys to live? And the Hebrew women, they said, are not like the Egyptian women. They're more vigorous and they have their babies so quickly that we can't get to them in time. So God was good to the midwives. And the Israelites continued to multiply, growing more and more powerful. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. And then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people, throw every newborn Hebrew boy into the Nile River, but you may let the girls live. We'll pick up from that in a second, but I want to break some things down in regards to these midwives and the stand that they took against the king of Egypt, Pharaoh. My first takeaway in this message today is to understand that God blesses people who fear him. God blesses those who fear Him. It says that directly in Scripture in the book of Psalms. Psalm 115, 13, it says, God will bless those who fear the Lord. Psalm 34, 9, Fear the Lord, you His saints, for those who fear Him lack nothing. Some translations say lack no good thing. Or no good thing is in the context there of Psalm 34. So God blesses those who fear Him, and God blesses these midwives. And sometimes the question comes up, and perhaps you're thinking this right now. Did God bless these Hebrew midwives for lying to Pharaoh? How many of you are wondering that? Okay, a few of you? Okay, well here's the thing. Understand the point. God blessed these midwives because they feared Him. That's the reason why God blessed them is because they feared Him. Not because they lied. Their fear of God led them to saving innocent lives. And that doesn't mean that this lie was necessarily the best way to answer Pharaoh, but they still had a fear of God. And if they maybe went about it the wrong way or the particulars of that, that's not why God blessed them. He blessed them because they feared Him and tried to protect these innocent lives. One thought I had as I was preparing this week is I think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they're standing before the king and they had to flat out give an answer and say, you know, we're not going to bow down to you. And in the midst of that, God still protected them and saved them. So in my mind, I kind of entertained this, is what if they would have answered Pharaoh differently? You know, we can't go back and change that. But I wonder, could God have done some other things if they'd said, look, king, we don't want to follow that decree because it's wrong. 
Would God have done some more things there? I don't know. But the key is they weren't blessed because they lied. They're blessed because they fear God, and that is a principle in Scripture, and you see that throughout. God blesses those who fear Him. The midwives were blessed for fearing God and not violating the higher law of God that forbids this senseless slaughter of innocent lives. They obviously understood that children are a gift from God and that murder is wrong. I'm going to say that one more time. Children are a gift from God and murdering children would be wrong. Okay, this is thousands of years ago. But can you see any application today? We're about one year into COVID. And yesterday I checked the stats. There's about 460,000 people in America that have lost their lives marked down as COVID. But folks, you need to double that number to get to where America is in the annual abortions that take place. We're shutting everything down because of COVID, but it's like we don't even bat an eye to the taking of innocent life. Worldwide, about 2.3 million deaths due to COVID, but on an annual basis, about 73 million abortions taking place. I'm not trying to shame anyone that's ever had to go through that and has made that decision, but I think moving forward, we need to understand that God takes life seriously and he cherishes it. Being pro-life is not a political position, it's a biblical position. And these brave women, they feared God and they obeyed God rather than man. And the scriptures give us guidance in that area, and I want to look for a second at Acts chapter 5. Peter and the apostles make a statement here, and it's obvious that Peter understood this when he says, we must obey God rather than human authority. We must obey God rather than human authority. I want you to hang on to Peter and the apostles' words, because where would Peter get that understanding? We must obey God rather than human authority. If you back up to Luke chapter 12, Peter and the disciples are with Jesus when Jesus makes this very statement, starting in verse 4. Jesus says, Dear friends, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot do any more to you after that. It's like, well, that's reassuring. Once they kill me, I mean, at that point, what are you going to do to me? But Jesus takes this a step further, and he says, But I tell you who to fear. Fear God. Fear God who has the power to kill you and then throw you into hell. That's worse than dying. And yes, he's the one to fear. And so you think about that. If he's the one to fear, then let's put things into perspective. Jesus goes a little bit further. He has care and concern over your life. Therefore, you don't have to fear. And he breaks it down this way. He goes, what's the price of five sparrows? Two copper coins. He says, yes, God does not forget a single one of them. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. That's how much God knows your situation. Down to the very hair on your head. Some of us, less than others. But he knows every single one of them. Why are you laughing at me? 
He knows the very hairs on your head. So don't be afraid. You're more valuable to God than that whole flock of sparrows. And I tell you the truth, everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, the Son of Man will also acknowledge in the presence of God's angels. But anyone who denies me here on earth will be denied before God's angels. And anyone who speaks against the Son of Man can be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when you're brought to trial in the synagogues before rulers and authorities, don't worry about how to defend yourself. For the Holy Spirit will tell you what to say. He'll teach you what to say at that time. Fast forward, Acts chapter 5. Peter says, we need to obey God rather than human authority. When we fear God more than we fear anyone or anything else, God can do mighty things through us. And God did amazing things through the early church. Peter the apostles and those who had been saved because they feared God. We become people of influence. We become influential in the kingdom when we let the fear of man go and say it's all about what God wants. I don't care what people think anymore. People can think whatever they want to think. That's up to them. But there's something between me and the Lord that we need to get right here and I need to put a stake in the ground. John Maxwell breaks down these Hebrew midwives talking about how they're people of influence, and I want to read to you something from him. He says, Who changes the course of history? Kings? Potentates? Generals? The wealthy? Well, sure, they do. But more often than not, it's men and women with no power and little social standing who most significantly reshape this world. When the king of Egypt grew worried about the exploding number of Hebrew slaves, he summoned these two midwives and instructed them to murder all the Hebrew male newborns. But these midwives feared God, and they refused to obey such a wicked command. Despite the king's threats, they would not buckle under and continued to deliver, and they continued to deliver healthy males. Although they had no way of knowing it, their risky decision would eventually help spare the life of Moses. This was Israel's God-ordained deliverer. You think of the impact their obedience to the Lord ended up blessing not only them, but also these people, because they feared God and obeyed God. They defied the ruler to obey the Lord, their Creator. Do you ever sometimes feel surrounded by evil and frustrated? And you think, well, I can only do so much to combat this. When faced with evil, we need to look for ways to act against it and trust that God's going to use my efforts, no matter how small they might seem, but try to make a difference, and believe me, He's going to bless you for doing it. These midwives refused the king's orders, God was good to them. We see that directly in the scriptures. And he even gave them families of their own. And God blesses obedience. He blesses obedience. And I just want that to sink in for a second for us today. What does it look like when we walk in obedience to the Lord in, in our marriages, in our parenting, in the workplace, how we handle money, do we walk in obedience? 
And if we're not, we're missing God's blessing that comes with obedience. And genuine fear of God, hear me on this, genuine fear of God leads to obedience. If you truly fear the Lord, you will want to obey Him. Those who fear God are blessed because of it. Let's look at Exodus chapter 2 now. We ended chapter 1 understanding that Pharaoh's taking this to a whole other level and saying, throw these newborns into the Nile River. And we meet a family here, Moses' family. His mother, Jochebed, his father is Amram. He's got a little uh, sister, older sister, Miriam, and he's got an older brother named Aaron. And so in Exodus chapter 2, verse 1, it says, About this time a man and a woman from the tribe of Levi got married. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son, and she saw that he was a special baby and kept him hidden for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she got a basket made of papyrus reeds and waterproofed it with tar and pitch. And she put the baby in the basket and laid it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile River. The baby's sister then stood at a distance, watching to see what would happen to him. And soon Pharaoh's daughter came down to bathe in the river, and her attendants walked along the riverbank. And when the princess saw the basket among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it for her. And when the princess opened it, she saw the baby. The little boy was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This must be one of those Hebrew children. Then the baby's sister approached the princess. Should I go find one of the Hebrew women to nurse this baby for you? The princess said, yes, do. So the girl went and called the baby's mother. Take this baby and nurse him for me, the princess told the baby's mother. I'll pay you to help. So the woman took her baby home and nursed him. And later, when the boy was older, his mother brought him back to Pharaoh's daughter, who adopted him as her own son. And the princess named him Moses, for she explained, I lifted him out of the water. My next takeaway for us today, kind of the same understanding, but a little, another step here is God blesses those who trust him. So God blesses those who fear him. God blesses those who trust him. Now, the decree's been made. We're going to throw these boys into the Nile River. And Jochebed, Moses' mother, goes, there's something we got to do. We can't hide him anymore. They're going to find him, and they're going to take his life. And I would imagine that it takes a little bit of trust to put a three-month-old baby in a basket and set him on a river. I mean, let's just let this sink in for a second, folks. Can we show the picture of the Nile River. This is just a snapshot, okay? But at places in the Nile River, it spans almost 1.7 miles across. Okay? It's not like in some cases you can stand there and go, oh, there's the other side. This is huge. And at times it's 26 to 36 feet deep. Let's just put my three-month-old in a basket and put him in the reeds of the Nile River. Now, the reeds would be safer. It's near the riverbank, but anything can happen. Wind picks up. You know, somehow it gets bumped out of the reeds, and now it's going to go for miles and miles down this river. 
that had to take a step of faith. I mean, imagine going to Fort Dodge, taking a basket, go down by the hospital where the river and that bridge is, and just go down there and drop this basket in there, and then multiply it by, I mean, an intense amount more. Actually having a real child and a bigger river. That just seems crazy. But she's like, this is all I can do because they're going to take his life anyways. So she has to trust that somehow the Lord's going to work this situation out. I know we call this a basket that he's in. One thing I think is interesting is some translations actually call that basket an ark. You know anybody else that did an ark? Yeah, this one's a lot smaller. Didn't exactly rain for 40 days or 40 nights. But it's interesting that that ark, it's very fitting when you consider how this ark for Moses is going to save his life and also eventually God's people. And no pun intended, but in the midst of all of this, God is weaving this all together. Jeremiah 17, 7, Blessed are those who trust in the Lord, that they've made the Lord their hope and their confidence. Desperate for help, Moses' mom trusted that God would somehow work this situation out. And God blessed her for trusting by putting Moses back into her arms and even paying her to nurse this child. Isn't that incredible? I'm guessing Jochebed, even though she trusted in the Lord, and we see, like, if you will, how the story goes, I'm sure there was moments where she was probably questioning herself. What am I doing? Have you ever questioned yourself before? Have you ever questioned God? Lord, what's going on here? How do I work through this situation? And then sometimes all you get really when you're in the Word or encouraging moments from other people is to trust God. And you're like, oh, that's nice for you to say, but I'm the one in the situation here. And so this last takeaway for all of us is an encouragement. is to understand that God is at work even if you don't feel it. I cannot stress this enough. Even if you don't feel it. Because his word promises that he's at work. And here's what Satan would love to do. If you don't feel God at work, then you begin to doubt, well, does God even care? You see how the enemy can start to snowball this? Well, if God doesn't even care, then why should I pursue him? And then we start to distance ourselves from the Lord. And then we start to go down a whole other path. And then we wonder, how did I get here? It's all because the enemy just sort of takes this thinking and moves you in the opposite direction of pursuing God. And so God is at work even if you don't feel it. So here for the Israelites, they're oppressed by slavery. These young boys, their lives are being threatened. And then even to the point where we're now throwing them into the Nile River and taking life. All this is going on and you might say, God, where are you in all of this? Are you at work here? And God works in a couple of different ways, and I want to break these down. One is God works 
internally, first and foremost. Internally. There's something God is doing in us while we walk through difficult times. How many of you would agree with that statement? God's working through us. When we're burdened or mistreated, we may feel defeated, but our burdens can make us stronger and can develop qualities in us that will prepare us in the future. God might even use that circumstance to develop in you things you never would have had had you not walked through whatever it is you walked through. How many of you can testify to that very truth? Okay? We cannot be overcomers without difficulties or troubles to overcome. And God walks us through those things and He develops things in us internally. James chapter 1 says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. How many of us embrace it like that? Trouble comes along, not you must whip it. It's you must rejoice. How many of you are texting friends going, trouble came to my door? Exclamation point, smiley face. Isn't this exciting? Great joy. Great joy when troubles come our way. That almost seems a little bit twisted. But trust that the Lord is at work. He says, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. It has a chance. Because of the hardship, your endurance now has a chance to get stronger. And let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Romans 5, Paul attests to this very thing. He says, we can rejoice. There it is again. We can rejoice when these things come along. When we run into problems and trials, for we know that they will help us develop endurance. He's saying the same exact thing as James. And our endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. Folks, you will be disappointed in life. But when God works all these things out, I guarantee you, you will not be disappointed in how He works things out. We know how dearly God loves us because He's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with His love. God is working internally. And I heard this recently from a coach that was doing his, his uh, if you will, a welcome announcement, kind of introducing himself to the community where he's coaching college football. And he talked about how a lot of things in life, circumstantially, we can't control. But what we can control is our attitude and our effort. And that when things come along, it's a time to dig deep and say, okay, God, let's do this. You're going to help me walk through this, and I'm trusting that you're developing some things in me along the way. Jesus kind of addresses this. If you know the parable of the soils, when they cast out the word and it lands on the path, or the rocky soil, or the thorny soil, or the good soil, that rocky soil... It's those believers that receive that word with joy, but then when troubles come along, they don't make it. And so we understand endurance needs to be developed in us. And being a believer in Jesus Christ does not exempt you from hard times. You're going to walk through things. Full disclosure. Okay? 
but you're going to walk through things understanding that God's at work doing things in you. And if you didn't have Christ, those things wouldn't be happening. So here, we've established that he's working internally, and I'll argue, and I believe this, that that is more important than how we might be working things out externally. Because God cares about what's going on on the inside of people's lives. He cares what's going on in your life, and He wants people around you to become saved. And so if I am faithful to the Lord, there's a testimony in that. And if there's somebody that can reach because of the hardship that I've walked through, and I can testify how good God is, even in the midst of trial, God receives glory for that. He's more concerned about people's eternal destinations than He's concerned about their external situations. That doesn't mean He doesn't care about the external. I'm just saying it's more important that what's going on in the inside is a development from the Holy Spirit. Working externally. So Moses' birth, his rescue from death, and the events of his youth, guess what? All of that were under God's care and direction. God is working this situation out. God is sovereign here, and God planned that Moses would be prepared to lead Israel out of captivity. And we must realize that God often works in ways that we may not understand, but we can be confident that He knows what's best and that He will accomplish His purpose in our lives if we trust Him. And I go to Romans chapter 8 for this. Even when it doesn't feel like God is at work, Romans 8.27 says that the Holy Spirit is interceding for us on our behalf, praying out the will of the Father over our lives. God is at work whether or not you feel it. The Scripture flat out tells us the Holy Spirit is interceding. But you go a step further with that in verse 28. It says, We know that God causes everything to work out to the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. It's a great reminder and understanding there's a bigger picture here. And I can trust that even though one little portion of this, it might be difficult, if I back up and say God's going to work this out, it allows you to take a step forward in trusting Him and lifting the situation to Him and saying, Lord, I know you've got this. I'm going to keep loving you and I'm going to keep walking out your purposes for my life. So we know how it, it ends for Jochebed receiving Moses back into her life. But there's that meantime, placing this baby in the reeds and then walking away. The tension there. There's the meantime for the midwives. In chapter 1, when it says that they're going to be blessed and they're even going to have families of their own, well, before they even had families, there's that conflict. I'm going to have to stand before the king... And tell them why we didn't do this. There's that turmoil going on, that pressure. There's the meantime, while you wait for things to improve. And I want to point something out with the midwives as I was preparing this this week that I thought was very interesting. So Moses is a newborn here, and we have the story of the midwives. Moses does not leave Egypt until he's 40 years old. Guess what? The Hebrew people are still in slavery. Moses comes back 40 years later 
to plead with Pharaoh to let the people go. Guess how old he is there? He's 80. 80 years old. They're still not set free. The circumstances of slavery have not changed. But yet in the midst of the circumstances, God blessed these midwives. And the encouragement for me is that in the meantime, being blessed by God doesn't necessarily mean that your circumstances are going to improve. Now how many of that, how many of you does that encourage? No, I can walk in God's blessing and it doesn't necessarily mean that the situation is going to get better, but it does mean that I have the Lord's blessing in the fight. Paul addresses this in 2 Corinthians 12. He's got an issue in his life, and he's asking the Lord, please take this away. And he asks the Lord three times, and the response he gets is, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. So you want to know what gets you through the meantime? It's the grace of God. It's His grace. That blessing that, that comes, that part of that blessing is that grace. So those who fear God, those who obey God, those who trust in God, I want to tell you, God's grace just gets poured out into your life and helps you through those situations. So keep fighting the good fight. Keep leaning into the Lord. Don't be discouraged. Don't give up. God is at work. He's up to something. You can trust Him. His grace is sufficient. There's a pretty intense moment for a disciple by the name of Stephen. Perhaps you've heard of him before, but he's often looked at as the first disciple of Jesus Christ that was martyred for his faith. And minutes before he's killed, I mean, people take stones and they start throwing them at him until he takes his final breath. Right before that stoning, he is preaching. He is telling them who Jesus Christ is. But he lays this foundation of the history that God has been orchestrating with his people, and he talks about Moses. And I want to read this to you in Acts 7. Verse 17, it says, As the time drew near when God would fulfill His promise to Abraham, the number of our people in Egypt greatly increased. But then a new king came to the throne of Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph. Does this sound familiar? We've read this. The king exploited our people and oppressed them, forcing parents to abandon their newborn babies so that they would die. This is a part of Stephen's last message that he's giving in his life. He says, at that time Moses was born, he's a beautiful child in God's eyes, and his parents cared for him at home for three months. And when they had abandoned him, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and raised him as her own son. And Moses was taught all the wisdom of Egyptians and was powerful in both speech and action. There's something to be said here that God can take the evil plans of men and end up turning it around and using it to accomplish his purposes. And so as Stephen is preaching and he talks about Jesus Christ and their need to repent and be saved, they all pick up their stones and they kill Stephen. And you think, well, where's the good in that? But because of the persecution, the early church realizes they need to get out of Jerusalem. Their lives are being threatened. 
And so as they leave, they take the gospel message with them, and now the good news of Jesus Christ begins to go throughout the whole world. So how could there be good in the midst of difficult things? It's because there's a bigger picture where God is doing things, taking even the evil of men and working out His good in the midst of all of that. And here in Exodus, God took this Egyptian decree to kill these Hebrew boys, and He used it, check this out, He used it to place a Hebrew boy in Pharaoh's own home. You see how God's at work, even in the midst of all the evil. Instead of facing death, Moses began his life with the best of everything. He had the finest opportunities and education that came naturally by being in a place of royalty, and all that would eventually be used as Israel's deliverer. God is at work. And folks, you can trust him. You can trust him. I want to pull this slide up here. It says, trust God no matter what, and no matter what, trust God. When I grew up in church, our pastor would always say, God is good. And then we'd say, all the time. He'd say, all the time, and we'd say, God is good. To establish the point today, I'm going to read that first part, and you repeat back to me that second part. Trust God, and no matter what, trust God. God. Moses, his name means to lift out. And God would use him to lift these Israelites out of their slavery. But it's interesting, there's comparisons between Moses and Jesus. Both of these, as babies, had threats on their life. For Jesus, it was King Herod. Both served as prophets and kings, kings, and uh, shepherds. They were priests. Both suffered with God's people. And both actually freed people from slavery. You can see the connection here. Moses delivered the terms of the first covenant, the old covenant, and Jesus established the new covenant. Jesus paid for the freedom. Moses brought freedom to the Israelites, and Jesus brings freedom to all. There's people who live their lives in the bondage and the slavery of sin. And Jesus came to set people free, to lift them out of that life of slavery and give us new life in the freedom that Christ brings. And so in response today, those three things. God blesses those who fear Him. God blesses those who trust Him. And to just keep in mind that God is at work even if you don't feel Him. You can trust Him no matter what. And as we close this message with prayer, I do want to address if there's anyone that's listening right now that you've not broken out of the slavery of sin you've not been set free by Jesus Christ, I want to give you that opportunity to walk out of that cell and into this freedom that Christ brings.
If you've never made that transfer, I want to lead you in prayer to receive Christ today. So will you all pray with me as we close? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that your spirit is at work right now. Not because I feel it, but because I know your word says the spirit is interceding. Your spirit is drawing people closer to you. And you're praying over people's lives. And Father, perhaps there's someone listening today that they have not left that cell of sin, that prison cell, where they're enslaved and they're in bondage, but today they can walk out because Jesus Christ has unlocked the door and said, I can set you free. And if there's someone right now that would desire to leave their life of sin and to walk with Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to pray with me to receive him into your life. Just pray with me in your heart and say, Jesus, today I desire that you'd set me free. Please forgive me of my sin. Please cleanse me and make me new. Help me to walk away and to be set free from this life of sin. Thank you for giving me new life. And now I walk in this relationship with you. And I receive you by grace through faith today as my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for this gift of salvation. Thank you for this gift. Now with every head bowed and eye closed, if there is someone that prayed to leave that life of sin and to receive Jesus Christ in your life, would you just simply acknowledge that for me by lifting up your hand? Just lifting up your hand and letting me know, Pastor Russ, I prayed that with you. Anyone at all? Thank you. I see your hand. Anyone else? I prayed to leave that life and become a new person. Perhaps there's someone in the overflow right now that prayed or someone watching online, and I praise God for that. Father, we thank you for this new life in Jesus, and I pray that you'd make this decision so real. And Father, that you've lifted them out of sin, and you've given them new life. We give you all praise and glory. Father, for all of us, help us to be people who know you are at work. Whether or not we feel it, we can know you're at work because of what you say in your word. Help us to fear you, to trust you, to obey you, and to realize that you're weaving your perfect plan out in our life, no matter what it is we're walking through. And that gives us great encouragement. And we thank you for this now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.